My kids tell me, Dad, now that you're old, you better be glad to be anywhere. So I am glad. <clears throat> Going to share a few thoughts with you today. I'll take my text in um, John chapter 6. We've just concluded a wonderful uh, <clears throat> holiday, Thanksgiving, and you can tell I've had my share, maybe more than my share. Now we're entering to a, another season, and this season's somewhat different. Uh, but it's basically the same. <clears throat> but now we, instead of giving thanks, we enter into a time of believing God. Do you know, we say we believe God is real and true, but your life is a demonstration of that which you really believe. You cannot separate what you believe about God from your actions on a daily basis. And uh, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> talk to you a little bit about believing God because that's where missions would really be, believing God. And the will of God, let me begin by saying the will of God is not off in heaven according to Deuteronomy, nor, neither is it across the sea. It is not in Lynch. It is not even at Woodburn Baptist Church. The will of God is in here. It's in your heart so that you might hear it and do it according to Deuteronomy. And I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. But now in this passage of Scripture in John 6... Um, it's the story of five, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And you've heard the old story about, you know, that was just the men, how many women, how many children? I don't know. Doesn't matter. The fact is, the Lord fed a whole bunch of people with a little bit of stuff, didn't he? Um, <clears throat> now, we believe that Jesus could feed, or do you? Do you really believe that Jesus fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish? Do you believe that? Yeah. You know why you believe it? It's in the book. You got to believe it if it's in the book, right? Now, let me bring it down to where we are. Do you believe Jesus Christ could use your life with five loaves and two fish to feed thousands of people? Now, before you answer that, let me say your life will demonstrate what you believe. Don't say you believe it unless it's really true. You know the way we treat this book? By the way, this is the Bible. I just got it on iPad. <clears throat> um, if you say you really believe this book, then the book has to be true in here. Or else this Bible is a storybook that we read to our children and say it's a wonderful story, but it doesn't really happen now. I had to come to the place in my own life where I had to believe that God is exactly who he says he is and he'll do exactly what he says he will do every single time without fail. That's what makes him God. Five loaves, two fish, they feed 5,000 plus. Jesus goes along to pray. The disciples get in the boat, go across the lake. I'm just bringing you up to date. The people get up the next morning. The Bible says that other boats came during the night. 
They get up uh, the next morning, no Jesus, no disciples, and they jump in the boats, thousands of people heading across the lake. Can you imagine that scene, all these people in John boats <laughs> trying to get to the other side? They arrive on the other side, and that's where we pick up the conversation in verse 26. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, let me, let me give you that in East Kentucky language. You know why you're all over here this morning? That's because you got a free dinner last night. And you're looking for a free breakfast this morning. Isn't that what he says? But then Jesus said some amazing things. Verse 27, do not labor for food which perishes. Now, wait a minute. Why do we work 40 to 60 hours every week, men, women? Is it not for food and clothing and shelter? Jesus said, do not work for that stuff. If that's all you're working for, you'll miss what God has for you. Don't work for stuff. All this stuff right here, it's going to pass away. But Jesus goes on to say in this verse, but labor for food which endures to everlasting life. In other words, labor for that which outlasts you. That's what missions is about, isn't it? Laboring for that which will outlast you. Now, <clears throat> Jesus can provide for you any way he chooses. God did not give you a job, sir, so that you could provide for your family. That's part of it. You know why God gave you a job and put you where you are? So that you could be a light in a dark place. That's why he put you there. Now watch close. If God took the job away, does God's provision now cease? Only if you're trusting in the job more than you're trusting in God. If you believe in God, his provision never ceases. Matthew chapter 6 says, First seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. Now what things was he talking about? Food, clothing, and shelter. He said something like this. Why not think about the sparrows of the air? They don't sow nor reap. But I tell you, not one of them falls to the ground without the Father's notice. Doesn't God love you more than the sparrow? Or why not consider the lily of the field? I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Does God not know how to care for you more than the lily of the field? Therefore, when we seek him, all these things will be given to us. A lot to say right there. But he says, labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. Verse 27, which the Son of Man, are you with me here? Which the Son of Man will what? Give you. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, well, what shall we do that we can do the works of God? Let me put it in context for you. What can we do that we can feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Amazing question, isn't it? Listen to this simple response. Verse 29, Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, period. You mean all I have to do is believe? That's what he said. He finished the sentence there. Now let me show you what we do. 
We say, Lord, you believe in a man that you've never seen. Died on the cross thousands of years ago, placed in the borrowed tomb, and raised again, and now is ascended back to the Father. You believe that, don't you? Of course you do. And because you believe that, your life, for those of you who have received Christ, radically changed. Now, we believe that God sent his son to die on the cross, and we say, Lord, take care of all the bad stuff over here. We call that sin, right? Take care of all the bad stuff over here. And surely Jesus will because he died on the cross to make sure that would happen, right? But in the very same breath, now we say, now, Lord, don't mess with the good stuff. I like where I live. I like the job I have. I like the car I drive. Don't mess with the good stuff. Just take care of the bad stuff. You know the only problem with that, sir? That's foreign to this book. You won't find that in here. The Bible says that when you come to Christ, you do not belong to yourself. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, you belong to him. Well, I had to come to the point. I got a few minutes left. I came to the point where I had to believe that God could take care of me. Um, I've been in um, a college administrator for one of our Baptist colleges here in Kentucky. Assistant to the president. I've been a denominational leader for the state convention of Ohio. Um, I've served in small churches and large churches, multiple staff, no staff. I've been the whole gamut of Southern Baptist life. And our last pastor took us down to South Haven, Mississippi, a little church running less than 100. Called me up. We were running about 700 or so at that time. They said, unless you come to be our pastor, we're going to have to close our doors. We just feel strongly about this. So I left that church in Ohio, went to that little church running less than 100 Five years later, that little church had grown to over 500. We'd sent missionaries around the world. We built a $3.7 million building, moved into it, and paid it off in one year. I mean, God was doing some amazing things. It was a very affluent church, as you might guess. So they bought my wife and I our dream home. This is for you, Brother Tim. <clears throat> they bought us a five-bedroom, three-bath, Tudor Estate executive home right near a 40-acre lake in a gated community. And the guy in the church said, now, you can't live near a lake, not have a boat. So he bought me a new bass boat. We had Cadillacs, whatever we wanted, we had. And I'm thinking, I'm going to settle down here and retire and live the life of Riley. That's my last name, by the way. <clears throat> But my mother-in-law passed away in our home. She lived with us for the last seven years of her life. She passed away in our home in Mississippi, and we took her back to Lynch, Kentucky. I don't even know where Lynch is. Oh, we got four or five. Boy, I'm glad God knows where we are. <laughs> but anyway, we took her back to Lynch to bury her beside her husband there, and several people came by and said, uh, <clears throat> we need somebody to come back and help us here. You're a preacher, aren't you? Why don't you come back and help us? Nobody will help us here. Now, at that time, uh, the unemployment in Lynch, Kentucky was 53%. Uh, it's climbing back up toward that now because of our recent coal layoffs and those kinds of things. And, uh, but we're right in central Appalachia. And my response was a typical preacher response. I said, man, you sure do need help. And I'll what? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Man, sometimes we say that. We don't really intend to do that, right? We want to get on about our business. And be honest with you, I just want to get on back down to Mississippi. I said, I'll pray for you, and I'm on my way. But on, on the way back to Mississippi, God spoke to my wife and I at the same time. And the Lord said, that's where I want your life to be. And God told me four things. Hear it closely now. Number one, God said, you won't have a big fancy home when you get to Lynch. 
there are no fancy homes in Lynch, but God's given us a nice home. Now, if you have a fancy home, I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm here to tell you what God did in my life, okay? God said you won't have big fancy automobiles, even though God's given us some nice automobiles. And the Lord said you won't have a big six-digit income salary with all the perks. In fact, you won't have any salary at all. And for the last 15 years, my wife and I have not received a salary of any agency or organization, but God has more than adequately taken care of us. But the final thing God said to me was this, Lonnie, though you won't have these things, I want you to know that you'll have me. And I said, Lord, as long as I have you, you're all I need. Now, you've got to settle this one. Is Jesus really all you need? Or is he just part of what you need? I believe that Jesus Christ is every single thing you will ever need. And he will fill in the blanks of your life, whatever that may mean for you. Now, I'm not, I don't preach a health and wealth kind of thing. I just preach Jesus will take care of your need. And if you starve to death with the people that you serve, you'll be loving Jesus every moment that you do. So God took us back to Lynch, Kentucky, and our, sometimes your belief process doesn't take off in big ways. It starts in very simple ways. Let me give you an example. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Uh, the first year we were in Lynch, 1999, wind chill factor was well below zero. I walk out my little four-room house. That'll bless you, going from a five-bedroom home to a four-room house. Yeah, that takes them a little adjustment. And I walk out this little four-room house. On my back doorstep sat two boxes. I don't know to this day who sat those boxes there except to say God did. Pick them up, took them in the house, and I said, honey. That's my wife. <laughs> I said, honey, come down here and take a look at this. She said, what is it? I said, I don't know. The Lord, somebody left these boxes on her doorstep, and she said, what's in the boxes? I said, I don't have a clue, but just in case it's a bomb, I want you down here with me. I ain't going by myself. So we opened up these two boxes, and there were two 15-pound boxes of cookie dough. Yeah, that's what I thought. <clears throat> now, I don't know if you know this or not, men, but some cookie dough you can't refreeze. Did you know that? If you do, it ruins. Well, I had no idea. Now, what are the odds that on my back doorstep, wind chill factor below zero, two boxes of cookie dough, and both of them thawed out? Figure God must be up to something. So I looked at my wife. I said, honey, what in the world are we going to do with 30 pounds of cookie dough? She said, we're going to bake cookies. <laughs> so, so we did. We baked cookies for days. Put them on paper plates. And it wasn't them styrofoam kind. It was them little flimsy, you know, paper things that when you put your food on, it rolls off. That's kind of we had. And we put them on there. And uh, we wrapped them up in aluminum foil and put a bow on top. Unemployment, 53%. We walked up and down every street in Lynch and knocked on their door, and here's what we said. We just wanted you to know that God hasn't forgotten you this Christmas. We don't know if you're going to get anything else or not, but the Lord wanted us to come by and tell you that he still loves you. And if you don't get anything else, God wanted you to have these Christmas cookies. And we gave away every single one of those cookies. But it taught us a valuable lesson. The lesson is this, sir, ma'am, Whatever God gives to you, it's just cookie dough. Now, it may take on a million forms. It might look like a farm, an RV. It might look like a horse. It might look like a new car. 
it, it can look like an iPhone or an Android or an iPad. It can take on a million forms. And God gives it to you. And the moment you get it, you decide what you're going to do with it. If you keep that for you, you've just cut off your supply of more cookie dough. Now, you can get more stuff, but now you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to pay for that which God wanted to give you all the time. Your choice. So we decided from that moment, everything we had was God's and it's just cookie dough. And we'll give it away. You're coming up on a mission offering this month. And you're going to have to decide, how am I, how am I using my cookie dough? I was in um, San Angelo, Texas, First Baptist Church. And this elderly gentleman came up to me and said, sir, I've got a farm I want to give you. So I got a 139-year farm. I said, sir, I'm really honored that you decided you want to give me a farm. But to be honest with you, I don't need a farm in San Angelo, Texas. I may never be back in Texas again. But I've just spoken with your youth minister this week. And you, know that you need to go tell him what you told me. And this man had a 139-acre farm, had these chicken houses. You know what they are? Big, huge chicken houses that had gone out of business and had been um, vacant for some time. They went in there, this youth minister went in there, fixed those up, put in dormitories, and now they have a hunting club. And they're winning men and women to Jesus in a hunting club because some guy in their church decided his 139-acre farm was just cookie dough. And now God is using it to extend his kingdom. God places his will in here. We worry about the provision more than we worry about the will. Don't worry about how you're going to get it done. Worry about what God wants you to do. And then you just follow through with that. Let me give you an example. This guy came to Lynch, Kentucky, came in my office, stayed a few days, and he was sobbing. Came in, I said, sir, what, what's, what's the problem? He said, well, I think the Lord's called me to ministry. Now, I want to know two things if you tell me that, because God's call, we've been singing about it, haven't we? Wherever, wherever your call is, I'm going to follow that call. Um, he said, well, I, I said, what is it you do? That's the first thing I want to know, because God trains you for that which you will do. And it may be you're right in a training process right now. He said, oh, I'm a shrimper off the coast of Hilton Head. My dad, my grandfather was a shrimper. My dad was a shrimper, and he left me two shrimp boats, and I just catch shrimp. I said, man, that's, that's awesome. First time I ever met a real-life Forrest Gump. I mean, it's oh, great. <clears throat> and uh, I said, well, what's God put in your heart? Number two. You see, that's where it is down here. He said, you know, it's amazing that two years ago, after church, I went out to eat and went down and checked on my boats as I usually do. And I looked out over the ocean and God showed me all these sailboats out there. And the Lord spoke to me that day, two years ago, and said to me, I want you to get a sailboat and I want you to get out there on Sunday afternoon and instead of taking a nap, I want you to go out there and tell people about me. He hurried back to church that night and told his pastor and the pastor said, man, I'm sorry. You know, we are, we're behind in the budget. We don't have any way to get a sailboat, but it's a great idea. He goes to his director's mission and tells him the same thing. Man, let me tell you what God put on my heart. And uh, director of mission, same response. 
we don't have the money and we're behind in our budget. You know, God's never behind in his budget. The economy of God, he is never behind. So you don't have to worry about God being behind. If he puts something in here, he's got it out here or else he won't put it in here. And I said, sir, I believe God's going to do something in your life. Two years later, he sat in my office sobbing because God had put his will in his heart two years previous to that. I said, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to believe God with you. And we'll see what God does. You see, you don't have to make it happen. God knows how to make it happen without you. Just let him do it. And so we prayed. He went his way. A few weeks later, I get a call from Knoxville, Tennessee. A friend of mine named Emmett Thompson calls me up and says, Lonnie, I know this is a strange request. He said, I know there's no water up there in Lynch, Kentucky, but you wouldn't happen to need a sailboat, would you? Now, y'all think I'm telling you a preacher story. This is the truth. You'll get that in a minute. But anyway, I said, uh, no, man, I don't, I don't need a sailboat, but I know just the guy who does. They brought me up a 24-foot catamaran. I didn't know what a catamaran was until they brought it up. It's one of them things with two pontoons with a thing across the middle. Had a 20-foot sail up on top. That thing was a sight to see in Lynch, Kentucky, in no water. It was amazing. So I called this guy up, Hilton Head. I said, man, God just answered your prayer. I got a sailboat sitting out here in my parking lot. You can come on up and pick it up. There was silence on the other end. He said, man, you know, I don't have any money for that. I said, oh, this is from God. You don't need any money for this because God just gave it to me and I'm going to give it to you. And now somewhere off the coast of Hilton Head, there's the first ever sailboat church because God put it in an ordinary fisherman's heart to start a church on the ocean. Who would imagine that but God? But you see, in every person that follows God, he puts his will right here. And when you believe God will accomplish what he puts in here, then you begin to watch to see how God puts it together. One other thing, and I'm through. I love horses. Always have, always will. They're beautiful animals. When I was in Mississippi, I had the good fortune of buying my first horse. Took it back to Lynch, Kentucky, and rode it up and down beside the road. And I didn't think too much about that until all of a sudden cars started pulling off, parking, kids getting on the hood of the car, watching me exercise my horse. That wasn't too bad until one day there were 12 automobiles, and I counted them, 30 kids sitting on the hood of their car watching me ride my horse. And the Lord spoke to me that day. It takes God a while for me sometimes. Spoke to me that day and said, won't you go let him ride this horse? So that's an amazing idea. So I go riding up, ask the parents if they could ride. They were all excited, and I started riding kids on horses, and I was telling them about Jesus, and guess what happened? They started giving their heart to Christ. I said, boy, this would make a wonderful ministry, but I don't know how to do this, Lord, so you're going to have to help me. <clears throat> and so now the Lord gave us three more horses. We're up to four. A couple of teenagers came by and started riding them. They both gave their heart to Christ. Their dad was so excited. He came to me. He said, man, this is amazing what God's done in our children, and I think you need some help. You need some land to put these horses on. I said, oh, that'd be great, but I'm very content right here. Not cost me anything and got a pretty good thing going on. He comes back in a couple of weeks. said, I bought you a 20-acre farm. I said, say what? said, I bought you a 20-acre farm. Now, I live in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. Lynch is 200 yards wide and two miles long. Am I right, Rod? Mountains everywhere. So I'm thinking, this guy bought me 20 acres right up on the side of this hill. And my horse is going to look funny with two short legs, two long legs trying to get around that hill. But when I went and looked at it, it was, it was nearly as flat as this stage area here. 20 acres. 
Now God has given us an extra 40 acres. Now we have 60 acres. We have an equestrian ministry. This year, a thousand kids and teenagers have come through that program. And 200 of those have given their heart to Jesus. You know how that started? One horse. Out of those 200 kids who gave their heart to Christ, there wouldn't be a handful who would know the story I'm telling you today. They don't know who Lonnie Riley is. They don't know about the horse, but every single one of them know who Jesus Christ is. The king and his kingdom. Sir, ma'am, what has God given you for your cookie dough? And how are you using it for him? This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Could you just believe God again for your life? I'm going to ask Pastor Tim to come. Our musicians come, if you will. And uh, maybe you just need to come and take your pastor by the hand and say, Pastor, I just, I just want to know how to believe God. Teach me how to believe God. And I want to begin today by driving down this stake. Maybe you don't need to speak to a pastor or a staff person. Maybe you just need to come and get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my life. I know what you put in my heart. I haven't seen it realized. But Lord, I'm giving you my cookie dough, whatever that may look like for you. We're going to pray. We're going to stand. They're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to come. You got it? Pray, stand, sing, and you come. Let's do it. Father, we're grateful today for your love. Thank you of the simplicity of the gospel, that we simply believe in you, and we act in commitment to that which we believe. Lord, today as you've spoken to our hearts concerning missions, some you have rekindled the flame of that desire you placed in their heart long ago, but has been lying dormant in them because no one has encouraged them. Lord, could you use this family to encourage us along the way that we might rekindle that flame of service? Some folks here, Lord, have a lot of cookie dough and they haven't been using it for you. I pray today that you would just remind us that all we have, all that we are, belongs to you. So, Lord, have this invitation. Be glorified in it as you have throughout this service. And we'll praise you for every commitment and decision, whether it's private or public. And we'll honor you and you alone, for you alone are worthy of our praise. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand with me? We're going to begin to sing. And as we sing, you find that I'll nearest you and make your way to the front. God bless you as you come.